Welcome to the Shoreline Community Church Podcast, a community of love, acceptance, forgiveness, and belonging. For more information, be sure to check us out online at shorelinecc.com. As we continue in the series today, Walk This Way, uh, we're in week five, believe it or not, and we're talking about leaders in the church. So if you have your Bibles or your app, uh, if you would go with me to 1 Timothy, and we're going to be looking at uh, the beginning, the first part of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3. And as we look at this today, it's Paul's letter, and he's affirming the underlying purpose of this letter, where he's, he's instructing the church against false teachers and false prophets that have come in. And in this portion, he's speaking specifically to leaders in the church. Because, see, the health and the protection of the local body of Christ is so essential. We have the body of Christ here today, which many people refer to as a church because it is essential. The health of the local body of church directly correlates to the health of the community that it it sits in. And when you look through Scripture, you see that health is so important to God that one of the names for God is, is Jehovah Rapha, which means Lord, our healer. And I think, it's, I think one of the biggest things as it relates to healing, as it relates to the Lord, that God is not just reactive in healing, right? There's times when it's like, God, you know, this has happened to me. Would you heal this? Uh, I cut my finger with an ax. True story. Would you please heal it, Lord? But there's things that God does preemptively in our lives where he goes before us and he lays things out. In John 10.10, 10, Jesus said that I've come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly, that you may have it to the full. You know, one of, the, one of the ways that we see this principle, how the Lord is not just reactive but proactive, preemptive, as it relates to our healing and to our health, is the whole idea of Sabbath. See, sometimes we think of Sabbath, right, taking the seventh day as a way that, that it's, it's, it's a way to recover from the week. And there's sometimes we need that. But biblically, Sabbath is a way of not just reacting, but it's a way to prepare that I'm, I'm being strengthened, I'm resting so that I can be ready for the week that is ahead because God knows the week that's ahead of you. And so he has laid it out for us to take that time to get ready. I mean, this is the nature of God. In his great wisdom, he's gone before us. And one of the ways that he's done this is in this area of character. Everyone say character character. And I'm not talking about, Dwayne, you're such a character. I'm talking about this character, this internal premise that God has, because our character is so important for us, that integrity. You know, we've often heard it said that many will describe character as, character is what you do when no one's looking, right? And how many you are going, oh. <laughs> you saw that bowl of ice cream I had last night that came from the women's retreat. See, character is what we do when no one's looking, and and so today we're looking at this, and he's looking at the character of the local church in Ephesus, the body of Christ, and he's saying that it's only as strong as its individual members, and so Paul is going, he's going right to leadership, and he's saying, leaders, in this response to the false teaching, there's some things I have to say to you because I care for the body of Christ. Jesus died for the body of Christ and rose again for the body of Christ. So as we dive into this today, Lord, speak to us. We are all servants of the living God. And Lord, we are listening today. We're listening to you. So Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to hear what you would say to us. In your name, Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. My Lord, my rock, my redeemer. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. If someone aspires to be a church leader, he desires an honorable position. So a church leader must be a man whose life is above reproach. We're going to come back to that, those two words later. 
He says he must be faithful to his wife, he must exercise self-control, live wisely, have a good reputation. Uh, he must enjoy having guests in his home and must be able to teach. He must not be a heavy drinker or be violent. He must be gentle, not quarrelsome, and not love money. He must manage his own family well, having children who respect and obey him. Uh, for if a man cannot manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? In verse 6, it says, a, a church leader must not be a new believer because he might become proud and the devil would cause him to fall. Also, people outside the church must speak well of him so that he will not be disgraced and fall into the devil's trap. In the same way, deacons must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers or dishonest with money. Uh, they must be committed to the, mystery, the mystery of the faith now revealed and must live with a clear conscience. Before they are appointed as deacons, let them be closely examined. If they pass the test, then let them serve as deacons. In the same way, their wives must be respected and must not slander. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything that they do. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, and he must manage his children and his household well. Those who do well as deacons will be rewarded with respect from others and will have increased confidence in their faith in Christ Jesus. And then Paul says, I'm writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I am delayed, listen to this, he says, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and the foundation of the truth. So one of the first things that Paul underlines here in all of this, and, and these types of things are repeated, is, is he's talking about the church, the body of Christ, whatever kind of label you want, what we're doing today, this is the body of Christ assembled. It's the local body, and we're part of the larger body, international, people who've devoted their lives to the Lord. And I think we need to be reminded that, that the, the local body of Christ, the church, it's vital in our lives and it's vital in the community that we live in. And we need to re be reminded of this because apart from the body of Christ, we don't grow. And there's so much that's going to be said to keep you away from here. One of the prayers I pray every Sunday morning is, Lord, this, this church churches around. Don't let anything get in our way because the enemy is working to separate you from the local body of Christ. Because here's why. And I love this. I think Oswald Chambers, I love, how, how, how many love Oswald Chambers? My almost for his highest. He says this so well. He says, individuality counterfeits spirituality. He said, just as lust counterfeits love, God designed human nature for himself, but individuality corrupts that human nature for its own purpose. See, here's the thing. We need each other, and you've heard me speak and teach a lot about the importance of the church. And I do it because the church, especially over this last, not just decade, but four decades, there's been this concerted effort to deconstruct the church. And there's times that when we come together that we may not agree with everything or there may be struggle, there may be these things going on, but that's a part of every family. Stephanie does not agree with me all the time. You're like, well, of course. <laughs> And I don't agree with her all the time. But what are we committed to do? We've committed to work it out. And we would both say this. We are smarter, we are stronger, and we've grown up a lot together. We got married at a very young age, too young. But that commitment with the Lord 
and positioning ourselves under the authority of the Word of God, under the authority of the body of Christ, under the authority of godly mentors coming through, we have both grown in that as we've come together. Because one of the biggest things that had to be taken care of when we got married was our individuality. I was Canadian Dwayne. She was American Texan Stephanie. And we had to learn to become one. And that can be a very painful process. I'm not going to ask married people to raise your hand, but how many have experienced pain in marriage, right? Some of you are like, this is my chance. But here's the thing. The reason why marriage is so strong because I've experienced a lot of healing. So much healing in marriage. Because I married someone who was committed to me, someone who loved me, someone even though at times I would anger her, <laughs> she's committed. And vice versa. We learn that together. That's the image of the body of Christ. That when we come together, when we work things out centered on the Word of God, and we have leaders that point and direct us that way, it is a powerhouse like the world has never known. That's why Jesus established the church. That's why Paul established the church. The Apostle Paul planted churches wherever he went. The other disciples, the other apostles went out. We sent out church planting people from this church. We have a group from Honduras that you're going to hear about from next week, and they're going down in Honduras where they're on church 122 with Pastor Johan down. They're doing amazing things, and they established this because we need the local body of Christ. We need to be together because in order for us to live, we need to die to ourselves and live for Christ. And the body of Christ helps us do that. It helps us do that. I'm so glad. I, I grew up in a church where at times it was very difficult. But because I stayed and I engaged, I'm better for it. I'm not saying I'm perfect, but I'm a lot better. My family's better for it. My friends are better for it. We need the body of Christ because here's what the body of Christ does. The body of Christ just doesn't help us survive, but it helps us grow, just like how the body works, that when I hurt my finger, nerves were attached to it, and they told my brain what was going on, and my brain caused other parts of my body to move to the rescue. And only as the rest of my body moved in obedience with that, that I've got a good finger today. It's actually right here, because I was doing this, so. This is how the body works. Each person moving, helping. See, this is why wherever the gospel is preached, new churches will burst forth. Andy Stanley says it this way. He says, the church is the local expression of the presence of Jesus. He says, we are his body. And says, people who are nothing like Jesus, like Jesus, people who are nothing like Jesus should like us as well. There should be something about us that causes them to stand at the periphery and stare. This is why Paul, he planted his 14 churches. This is why as we come together, it is so important for us to do that because the body of Christ, this is where we're tested. And one of the biggest reasons for testing and why a lot of times testing is allowed in our life is because we need to grow in maturity, we need to grow in strength, and we need to grow in perseverance. Perseverance was a big word during COVID. But it was a big word through, from, the, through, from the beginning of, our, of creation, and I love what Hebrews 10 says as it relates to how perseverance is built within the body of Christ. Hebrews 10 says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. 
It says, let us think of ways, that's all of us, the body of Christ, ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Isn't that a good word for today? Hold tight, and let's find ways to motivate each other towards acts of love, because faith without works is dead, so we need to be responding to it. And that's why in verse 25 in Hebrews 10, it says, let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but let's encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. See, we need each other. I need you. I'm so glad you didn't leave because it was cold. I'm so glad you said, I'm going to put my jacket on. I'm going to put my toque on. Well, toque, that's a Canadian word. How, how many know what a toque is? A little hat, right? That's the original Greek. It's, see, our community, it's only as spiritually alive as local churches are alive. You can always measure the, the physical health of a city by its local hospitals, and it's only as good as the doctors and the nurses and all the healthcare people that are there. And when that is strained and stressed, we have problems in our community. The same thing with the local body of Christ. That's why a lot of times people will compare the local body of Christ to a hospital, right? You never go to a church and expect there to be perfect people there, because we're not but we are people that have totally surrendered, totally committed to the Lord, and we're walking at different levels of maturity. We have people that are spiritually immature who are five. We have people who are spiritually immature that are 50 because they're just beginning. They're just starting out. We have people that are very mature at a young age and people that are very mature at an old age, and they've, they've lived this life going through, and we all need each other, and we need to have patience with one another, helping, strengthening, being willing to have tough conversations in love. That's why we have support groups. That's why we have recovery groups. We have all these things going on because we love each other and life is tough. And through the power of Jesus Christ in us, moving through us, helping each other, motivating each other, and encouraging one, one another, we can do all things through Christ because he's given us strength because he's here in us. This is the body of Christ. And I love it. And because this is important, because the integrity is important, Paul is looking to leadership. Because he's looking at the church in Ephesus, there's false teaching that has come in, there have, have been influenced from the outside from false religions, and they're coming in and they're attacking the leaders, and the leaders aren't walking in the way that they should. And he focuses specifically on two groups, which, are, which he calls the elders and the deacons. And he goes through this list of leadership requirements. See, for every leadership position, there are requirements. I mean, you go to a football field. I mean, if you go down to see the Seahawks, you can't just watch out, walk out on the field and go, I think I'd like to coach today, Pete Carroll, you know? First of all, you would never even get to the field. See, every community, any group of people, they will have an organization. They need to have leadership to it that is universal. Jesus did this. And the Jesus principles of leadership are used in successful organizations throughout the world. I'm not saying everything they do honors them, but when you can point to some things that are working, you can, you can draw a thread right back to Jesus and to, the, and to how God has organized everything. And see, Paul, he stresses this. Jesus stressed this. Even going back to creation with Adam and Eve, he had them set up as stewards. He had them name the animals. He had so many wonderful things where he placed them in charge of things to move forward. And that's why even in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul lays out the purpose of leaders within the church. And he looks at the leaders in Ephesians 4 and he says, here's your purpose. Your purpose is to equip and to strengthen and to build up the body of Christ so that the body of Christ will be mature. And Paul writes that it won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 4, we will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. And Paul, he's looking to the leaders and he's saying, look, as a, your, your, your main role as leader is to equip others, to empower, to equip the saints. That's all of you so that you'll be mature because there's a lot of lies out there. There's a lot of misinformation. And as I said last week, fake news is nothing new, okay? Face, I mean, fake news is not just something that Facebook started. This began way back in the beginning of time. The best lie has what? Oh, truth in it. But twist just a little bit. And this is what Paul is saying. He's looking to the leaders. He's addressing the false teaching and he's going in and he's looking at the, at the elders and the deacons. Now, just a little bit of explanation. Elders, when we're talking about elders, we're, we're, we're talking about the pastors, those that teach. So here at Shoreline Community Church, this um, mass, a lot of this as well as other portions of Scripture really inform our bylaws and inform us because we're informed by the Word of God and how we lead. And so the elders of Shoreline Community Church and, and how the, the Apostle Paul is addressing, these are the, the pastors of the church. And then the, the deacons, these are leaders that we would re- refer to as the SCC board. So our board is comprised of deacons as well as trustees. Trustees oversee the building. And then they're part of the larger board that they come together. And this is why in our, in our bylaws, it states that the deacons serve this assembly and act in an advisory capacity, assisting the pastor in all matters pertaining to this assembly, its spiritual life and the ministry of its ordinances. Deacons are involved in the ministry of prayer and service of the members and adherents of the assembly, including the distribution of assistance and scriptural help to those in need, the widows, the orphans, and the poor, what the Bible calls true religion helping those in need. This, this, is, this is the work of the deacons coming through. And we meet every month and we pray over everything. We walk through things and we lay things out. And I'm so thankful for that. Because see, I love being a pastor. Even on its most difficult days, I love being a pastor. But it's not something I ever sought out. It's something that there have been seeds from the Lord all along the way and I studied the Bible in college, and then I I went to seminary and got my master's with no thoughts of being a lead pastor someday. And people people would would tell me, you know, I was a worship pastor back in the D.C. area, and I I went to seminary, like, why are you going to seminary? Will your church pay you more if you have a master's degree? I'm like, no. (laughs) There's no pay scale in churches as it relates to you have a master's or you have, have all that going on. Well, then why are you doing it? I said, I, I just feel God calling me. I feel God leading me. I feel God pushing me in this direction. And I went to seminary, and I loved it. Loved it. Loved studying the Bible. Loved, you know, back then, my kids w- were in bed a lot earlier. So I remember, like, at 8, 8, 8 o'clock, getting them in bed. And then i just go to the computer, and I'd be there. And Stephanie would come up on me just in front of my computer doing, doing uh, my master's work with just tears in my eyes. Because it was just, it was life-changing. It was life-changing, and I loved it but not because I had a career goal. And I share that for some of you because you may feel the Lord leading you in some places of leadership. You may feel the Lord calling you to do certain things. And you're like, but, you know, okay, God, where's the career path? Where's this? Where's the path? And, and the Lord will look at you and say, just be obedient. Just be obedient. I was a worship pastor for 25 years, and before becoming a worship pastor, I said, I'll never be a worship pastor. <laughs> Because there's sometimes that God has to do a work in us. He has to get us ready. But, he's, but he does it step by step. I want you to take this step. I want you to make this motion. I've had people 
sit on my teams, be surprised. They're like, I always said, I would never be a pastor on staff. And they're excelling at it. This is the work of the, of the Lord. And as we've come through all of this, I think COVID has been difficult for everybody, but it's been very difficult for pastors. And when you look around our area, one of the things that I'm blessed to do is I'm blessed to be an area presbyter for our denomination, the Assemblies of God in the Northwest Ministry Network, and I, I oversee the Metro North area. And I can tell you, it's been very difficult. Masks, no masks, say this, don't say that, all the stuff that we know that I'm not going to unpack today. And it's wreaked havoc. Just nationally, the dropout rate has been difficult from the amount of hurt, from the challenge that has been through this. Because here's the thing, the enemy will leverage everything. The leverage will let no disaster go to waste in our lives. He will leverage it to destroy you. And especially, it's always this way, but he will especially leverage it against leaders within the church. You know, every leader that comes on, I'll often say, as you step into leadership, don't be surprised. There's a mark on you now. Because when you step forward and say, God, here I am, you are placing yourself in a position of caring, of loving, where you will be attacked. You'll be wrongly accused. There are things that will be happening to you. A lot of times people think, it's leaders, so I get to have all the best coffee, all the best donuts, all the best. See, biblically, Jesus describes leadership as whoever wants to lead serves. It's a servant leadership. Whoever wants to be first will be last, last will be first. Right? My mom cooked amazing meals. At looking back, guess who ate last? Mom. <laughs> and I often thought, how sad, but that was her servant leadership. Everyone recognized her as being, no one cooks like mom. You haven't had poutine until you've had my mom's poutine. But this is servant leadership. As a leader, you serve and Paul, in this, he lays out one of, the, one of the key things that will help you be successful as a leader. That when you lead in any position, but specifically in the body of Christ in the church, that if you want to be successful, he says that as a leader, you need to be above reproach. Being above reproach. That's 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, at the very beginning. See, Paul, he knows the weight of ministry. If you want to see everything that Paul's gone through, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And Paul lays out all the ways that he's been beaten, that he's been shipwrecked, he's done this so many times, he's been lashed so many times, he's been in jail so many times, all these terrible, all these things that he's gone through, always giving glory to God. And he always gives recognition to the fact that in all these ways, he's been tested and he's suffered. And the challenge with all of this is that sometimes this testing, it can tempt you to give up and to walk away. You're like, God, I'm giving my life to you. Why is bad stuff happening? I did all this. I said your word and fill in the blank. My expectations were not met. And this can cause you to tempt away, not just for pastors. This can cause you to tempt to, to walk away from children's ministry. I told the kids I'm going to tell them something good, but they, they still talked when I was talking. <laughs> Whatever it is, 
when our expectations aren't met, and not only that, when we can be criticized for it, or I prayed and I'm going through a dark night of the soul, this can tempt us to walk away and to give up. All these trials, the testing, the temptations, the hardship, Jesus said, don't be surprised. These are going to come whether you're a Christian or not. You live in this world. Trials are going to come. Testing is going to come. You're going to experience heartache. If you're a farmer, there are going to be times when the crop doesn't grow. Whatever it is that you do. I've been trying to figure out this kayak fishing thing forever. I've never caught a salmon from my kayak, and I'm Canadian. It's not right. (laughs) Next year. Am I giving up? No. See, we learn in this. See, Jesus warned us about this, and so did the prophets, that all, and all the great leaders, and they showed us how to prepare for this because we are, we are preparing by having a life that is transformed and all of these things. That's why in James it talks about that you consider it all joy when you walk through these things because all these things, the things that, that would make Dwayne want to just, just, just crawl in his bed and just open up Netflix and go, I'm done. James is saying, no, I'm getting you ready. The Lord is getting you ready. He's causing you to, to be filled with strength. He's showing you friends that you never had. He's revealing to you friends that you never had. He's walking you through. He's strengthening you step by step because all of these things, when we surrender to the power of God, they transform us and we, open it, we, we position ourselves to be filled with the power and the love of God. We're empowered by the, by the Holy Spirit that leads us, the Holy Spirit that corrects us, the Holy Spirit that empowers us to do the perfect will of God. See, Satan will condemn you. He'll say, I saw what you did. You're no good. Holy Spirit goes, I saw what you did. Let's speak healing to this moment. <laughs> Ask God forgiveness. Allow the Lord to come in. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill you and to strengthen you step by step by step by step, growing stronger and stronger and stronger. The Holy Spirit will take something that the enemy meant to kill you, and he will take that, and he will make that a place of ministry for you that will bring freedom to others as you are brought free, whether it takes one second or whether it takes decades. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. This is the power of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying. You you fight for it. And he's looking at leaders and he's saying in all of this, you need to be above reproach because as you look to this ideal, it's not you doing it. It's you leaning into the power of God and saying, God, forgive me today. Forgive me today. That's a prayer that you should probably pray every day because how many make some little mistake every day, right? And those are things that we go to the Lord. God, forgive me for yelling at my kids. Forgive me for whatever it is. And now fill me and help me. Show me how to walk. Show me the things I need to get in place. Show me that metanoia, how to walk away, how to, subscriptions I need to cancel, things I need to put boundaries up, things I need to put borders around. Because as we walk in this way, as we live this life that is above reproach, we are empowered, we are strengthened, and everyone around us is empowered and strengthened by it. This will enable us, even as a body of Christ, now to be stronger because we're sharing our testimony. We're helping people who are walking this out. This enables us as we are transformed to actively live out loving our neighbors, those that love us and those that hate us, those that invite you to their parties and those that don't invite you to their parties. Everybody. 
This transformative work in us enables us to live this life that is above reproach. Paul's not looking at them and he's not saying work harder. He's saying, no, work more, surrender to the power of God, surrender to his word, fill with his power, fill with, with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, though, as it relates to leaders, though, there should be fruit in your life. An apple tree is meant to produce apples. A pear tree. Put in whatever analogy that you want. But when your apple tree is not producing apples, you should be looking at it and saying, what's wrong? What's missing here? Who do I need to talk to? I've never grown an apple tree before. Maybe I should talk to an apple farmer and see what they would say to me. And he's laying it out. He's saying, he's saying that the life of a leader should be above reproach. It should be someone who's pursuing God, and there should be fruit from this. Because having a character that has been formed by God will result in fruit that comes from God. This is, why, this is the words of Jesus, Matthew 7. Jesus said, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. And Jesus got real practical. He said, you can identify them by their fruit. That is, by the way that they act. He said, yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. And again, Jesus here, he's addressing leaders. He's addressing false prophets. And he's saying you can know them by the fruit of their lives. Now, Jesus is not saying, I want you to find somebody perfect. Do you remember when I talked about his disciples? He had zealots, he had nationalists, he had Judas. He had people that tried to do it on their own. He had people who were afraid to do anything. He had it all. What a mixed group. Because the gospel pulls people in and says, as you surrender to this, as you lean into this, Judas didn't make it, he didn't lean into it. But as you lean into this, you are transformed. You are empowered by the power of God in our lives. Because, see, the whole thing with leadership is you don't lower the bar, you raise the bar and say, now Jesus is the only way that you can lead in the way that he's calling us. It's not perfection. It's transformation. It's committing to the process. It's surrendering ourselves. It's serving. See, this is the beauty of the gospel. It takes sinners like me and it transforms as I surrender to God. And then he goes in and he says, I'm going to get real practical because I don't want you to miss it. What does above reproach look like? What does it mean, this life that's above reproach? Right? And he starts off with the most important relationships in, our, in my life, which is my spouse, Stephanie. Now, Jesus first, yes, okay? But we're getting really, really practical here. You can tell a lot about me by the way I, I treat Stephanie. Sorry to call you out. I'll buy you lunch. <laughs> you can tell a lot about me. You can tell a lot about anybody by the way that they treat their spouse. How's Stephanie doing? How am I treating her? Do you see me being respectful to her? Now, no one's perfect. Do you see me apologizing when I mess up? Have I apologized to you a lot, Stephanie? Yeah. You see what I'm talking about? You start with those that are the, the closest. How am I treating my kids? Can you tell that I love my children? 
And I'm not talking about just getting up and going, I love my children, I love my wife. I, I can say the right things. I, I read books. How am I treating them? How am I treating you? You start working from those closest, and Paul is saying that this key relationship, now Paul's saying this as a single, so he's not saying only married people, right? Remember we talked about last week, he used the entire Bible to interpret the entire Bible. I've had single people on our board. But he's talking about when someone is married, how are they treating their spouse? How are they walking with them? And later, he extends us to the rest of the family, just like I did. How are they managing their children? What would people say about them? Because my life should be in such a way that if, I, if it ever came to, to a vote, Stephanie should vote for me. If Stephanie doesn't vote for me, don't hire me. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> and then Paul, he moves on. I know you're all cold, so I'm going to keep, keep going here, okay? Then Paul, the next thing he moves on to is, is he says that they must exercise self-control, live wisely, and have a good reputation. Because if, if you can't manage yourself, I mean, if you ever worked for a boss, they just yelled all the time, they pulled you in and they did all that. What's your first thought? Your first thought was, I'm going to go to Indeed. I'm going to go to LinkedIn. I got I to gotta get out of this place. Because if you don't treat people around you, now I'm not talking about a lack of accountability. Accountability is important. I'm not talking about because your boss, whoever came in and tried to bring some correction, tried to bring some direction, tried to bring those things. We need that. I've grown the most under leaders that had a very, that we had a relationship where they could come to me and say, I want to talk to you about how you did this. You, you missed that deadline, or we need to talk about this. And, you know, was the deadline, was it, was it too much too quick and we need to adjust it, or there's things going on here, or you're looking to your team and say, you know what, you're, you're in charge of customer service, and I say, you yell at that customer, what's happening? We need to have these conversations. So I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about propping up and everything you do is wonderful and lovely, right? That's dysfunctional parenting. That's dysfunctional leadership. I'm talking about somebody that in, they, in how they lead, they can have conversations with people, but they're managing themselves well. They're living well, Paul says. He said they live wisely. They have a good reputation. Because this was the criticism of Jesus and the Pharisees. He said they know the way of God, but they don't practice it. Jesus said, don't follow them. <laughs> They've read the right words, but they're not living it out. They're not, they're not exercising that self-control. They're not living under the authority of God. So you love those in your family, those around you. You're exercising self-control. You're leading yourself well. And then he goes to something he said they must enjoy having guests in their home. They must enjoy having guests in their home. This is about building relationships because, again, our love for God is tested in how we love others. And if you don't like being around people, he's like, what are you doing leaving? Because it's all about people. Okay? It's obviously not on how well I can heat this room today. <laughs> right? <laughs> Strike three. It is about people. Jesus died for people. See, we should be so strong as a, as a body of believers that if this building was gone, the church would still exist because we're still going to gather together. 
We're going to be in my front yard. We're going to be across the street. We're going to be wherever that we gather together that it's not just about the stuff, though we're called to be good stewards of it, but we should be loving each other in such a way that we come together and that we're pulling people together and that we love being around people. Extroverts, introverts. Some of the greatest leaders are introverts. Some of the people that you would look at and go, they love being around people. They're actually an introvert because they restore when they're, when they're away from people. But they love being around people. They love those relationships. Some of my best friends are introverts. I'm just an extrovert, and so they can't always be with me. See, we need to be focused on that. And Paul is saying that. And Paul is saying that if if you can't be around people, if you can't love people, if you can't invite people in your home, leadership's not for you <laughs> because it's about people. It's about loving people. It's about being patient with people. It's about we- being willing to have the tough conversations that need to be had. And Paul puts this in the category of being above reproach. Paul's saying that in these things, this is what it means to be above reproach. You're loving your family. You're pulling them in. That you're, that you're, that you're managing yourself well, Right? And again, not perfection, but growing in that, going, oh, man, I'm sorry, please forgive me. What do I need to do to make this right? And then inviting people in your home as a leader. And there's a lot of other things in here, but, and this is just three, but these are key areas in how we do this. See, Paul, he's addressing all of these areas Because these are areas that have been compromised, they've been attacked, or they've been missing from the leaders within the church, this false teaching. And he's saying, leaders, there should be fruit. There should be fruit in your life. You should be living in this way above reproach. And that we're helping each other along the way. This is the body of Christ. Because, see, as we look to this fruit... It's not about standing in front of a tree and go, you better grow an apple this year or else. No, it's about cultivating and going, is there enough nutrients here? Is there enough things poured into it here? Do I need to get some of the weeds out? Do I need to, you know, why is there not fruit? Something's wrong. Is there a disease that needs to be pulled away? Is there nutrition in there that needs to be put in? These are things that inform us. We need to have these metrics in our life to where we're going, God, is my life producing today? And I'm not talking about a lot of numbers. I'm talking about, God, is there fruit? How I talk to people, how I love people, how I love my family. You know, they'll often say, um, I heard this measurement, I forget who said it, but that a measure of spiritual health, spiritual growth, if you want it to measure it, it's how short the distance is from when you've sinned and when you've asked for forgiveness. I love that definition. It's that repentant heart that says, you know what? I messed up. And in my younger days, in my immature days, I try to hide it. I try to deny it. I try to say, it's okay. I fooled everybody. But a mature believer says, I want to deal with it right now. I don't want anything to get in the way. I don't want this to cause a disease that would fester. Because see, what Paul is saying in all this is he's saying it's not about having the right position on issues. It's not about having the right opinion. He's saying that all of this is about having the right relationship, the relationship with God. 
You can have right opinions and right positions and have none of the fruit. <laughs> the Pharisees did. Right opinions, right position. Far from God. Paul's saying, where's your life? See, if we're not transformed by the power, if we're not filled with the Holy Spirit, leadership will crush you. Leadership will destroy you because you can't do it on your own. You weren't meant to do it on your own. We're called to be yoked together with Christ, that when he moves, he moves. When he stops, we stop. But we've taken off our yoke. We've stripped aside our every weight, everything going on, saying, God, I am with you. And he will transform you. He will redeem you. And Paul, one example. If anyone could have been denied leadership, Paul was killing Christians. Paul was going around in form. Paul had letters to haul off Christians to jail. Look what God did with Paul. Met Jesus, transformed. See, so many of us, we find ourselves overwhelmed and we find ourselves defeated. We find ourselves exhausted from the things of this life. If I were to say, raise your hands, all of you go, yeah. <laughs> I can be overwhelmed. I can be exhausted. There's times I'm overwhelmed, times I'm exhausted. And there's times that uh, I find myself being very insecure. And the Lord spoke to me one time, very, very clear. He said, Dwayne, you're insecure because you place your security in yourself, not in me. I was like, God, you're right. My insecurity came from, I can't do this. I'm no good at this. I'm all those I statements. And God said, when are you going to be willing to lean on me in every way? You say it, you profess it. But there's moments, are there moments you're ever overwhelmed with that insecurity? You just kind of find yourself being crushed. You're like, oh, oh man. That's why we pray. See, when we pray, we are surrendered and we're saying, God, I need to be filled with your voice now, not mine. My voice is crushing me. I need to be filled with your spirit, your power. I need to be reminded again, even though I know, even though I've studied, even though I got a master's degree, I need your voice in my life. I need to strip aside everything. I need to get rid of every hindrance because I need your voice. I need your power, Holy Spirit. I need you to fill me. I need you to remind me. I need you to teach me. These are all things that the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's why Jesus, one of the last things he said to his disciples on this earth, I want you to go and I want you to wait. And the disciples were terrible at waiting. They were always trying to do it on their own. Swinging swords, throwing things around, trying to boss people around. Jesus said, you need to wait. Because there's a work I want to do in you that will revolutionize the world, will transform the world. If you do it on your own, you'll be crushed. If you wait for me, you will be filled. See, we need to empty ourselves. There's, there's, there's too much junk in our, in our lives. Too many thoughts. Too much self-talk. We need to wait on the Lord. What did Isaiah say? Those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will walk and not grow weary. And what's the next thing they'll do? They'll run and not faint. Let's, this is our benediction before we leave today. Let's say this together. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace.